Oh, it feels good to be here with you. Did everybody have a great Christmas? Yeah? We did too. We were so excited to see the snow. And uh, I spent Christmas Day uh, with my brother-in-law and my nephew, Miles, walking to the top of Beasley. So I got to the top. I touched, well, I, I sort of touched the star up there. And I realized how out of shape I was. <laughs> because my, I, yes, it's a dad body. <laughs> And uh, I kept asking my eight-year-old nephew, I was like, hey, Miles, you want to take a break? Because I, I secretly needed the break. But he's like, no, I'm good. Let's keep going. I was like, oh, you need some water? No, I'm good. Let's keep going. He was just a trooper. And then, uh, then it started to snow. And, um, and uh, my, my brother-in-law and I, we would take the kids sledding all the way down Statter Road up on the hill, get all the way to the bottom, and then I'd have to walk all the way back up with the kids. Because they want to sled down, but they don't want to walk up. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, this is the last Sunday, I think. Is this not the last Sunday? This is the last Sunday of 2020. And I have to say, I am looking forward to 2021. I don't know about you. I don't know what it brings. I don't know what tomorrow brings, but I'm excited for whatever's next and whatever God is doing. I'm thankful for what God has done uh, this year in our lives and in this church and in my family uh, but I'm looking forward to 2021. And, and what do we do uh, in the new year? What, what, what's the one thing that we start to do uh, as we come into January? We start to make New Year's resolutions, don't we? We start to commit ourselves to new things. We say, well, I'm getting a couple looks. We, we say, I'm going to lose some weight this year, right? <laughs> yeah, everybody's already laughing at Evie. I'm, this is the year. I'm going to do it. I'm going to get that gym membership. I'm going to spend January and February in the gym. And I'm never going to go back, right? <laughs> See, I got a couple of people just like that. And we, we, we make New Year's resolutions to uh, maybe finish our, some education or some knowledge, right? Or, or maybe we, we make, an, make a New Year's resolution to save some money or to read the Bible every day. We, we commit to something. Well, this year, I would ask for you uh, in 2021 to make a resolution. Commit to your spiritual growth. Commit to spiritual growth, to spiritual maturity. I would say this, that, that these things don't happen overnight, right? That, that losing weight, saving money, spiritual growth doesn't happen overnight. But every day, it's a decision of little choices, right? It's a decision. It's the little choices that we make every single day that make the biggest impact. And I would say this, if you're taking notes, your direction determines your destination, this is very basic, right? But it, it can also be narrowed down to your decisions determine your direction. What decisions are you making to your spiritual growth? What decisions are you making each and every day to contribute to your spiritual growth? Ultimately, our, follow, our goal as followers of Jesus here on earth is to become more like Jesus. And we call this something in the church. We call this discipleship. To be becoming more like Jesus, being made in his image. We call this discipleship or spiritual growth, spiritual maturity. And just like you all have an expectation of me as a pastor, because I know that there's expectations that you have of me, I have expectations of you as a church. And my expectations of you are, are that you don't just make this Sunday morning gathering your, your fill, 
right? You don't just make this right here your spiritual life. But my expectation of you is that you're continually taking steps to progressing in your spiritual growth. It doesn't matter how old or how young you are, right? We are all growing, all maturing. There's always something new for us to learn. There's, all, there, there's always something else that we surrender to Jesus, that we give to the Lord so that he can make us more and more like Jesus. So I have an expectation of you to be considering what is the next step in my spiritual growth. What is that next thing that I can begin to do to become more and more like Jesus? You know, the Bible talks a lot about spiritual maturity. It talks a lot about spiritual growth. In James chapter 1, verse 4, it says this, Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. See, when you come to Jesus, you're saved, but there's this process, right, of sanctification and of redemption. It's this process of spiritual growth where you're becoming more and more like Jesus. It doesn't just happen the moment that you say yes. You're given a new nature. Yes, when you say yes to Jesus, he gives you a new nature. You're no longer a sinner saved by grace. You are a saint. That's why that Paul, when he writes all these letters to, uh, to the churches in the New Testament, he addresses to the saints in Ephesus, to the saints in Corinth, to the saints. You are a saint. When you say yes to Jesus, you are, your nature is transformed. But how many of you know that the Bible also says that we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, right? We commit to a process of discipleship under Jesus, of spiritual growth under Jesus, and just like anything else in life, if you want to grow, just like your muscles or your career or your savings or whatever it is, it, it has to be deliberate. It has to be intentional. You know, this, this word mature and complete in James chapter 1 is the Greek word teleos, and it means to be brought to its end, to be finished, to be complete. It means lacking nothing. It's, it's complete. It's, it's full. And it's the same word that we see in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, when Jesus is giving his sermon on the mount and he's talking to the people in the crowd and he says to love not only your neighbor but to love your enemies as well. And Jesus says this. He says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. That word perfect is the same word as complete in the New Testament. But does Jesus actually, when he says to be perfect, does he mean to be without flaw, without sin, uh, Jesus, uh, there, there, there's, there's two ways to look at it, right? When you look at yourself through the lens of Christ, that you've been given the righteousness of Jesus, that when uh, you stand before the Father in heaven and you said yes to Jesus, there's this reality that God is going to look at you and he's going to see the perfection of his son, Jesus, right? That you are no longer, you are without blemish, you are without sin because he sees Jesus. He is the righteousness. He is the one standing in your place. But what Jesus is talking about in this scripture is, is he's raising the, the ethical bar. He's raising the standard of living for, for the people listening. See, these people who are listening to Jesus preach uh, had grown up with the Old Testament and the teaching that it's okay to exchange an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And it's okay for a man to divorce his wife. And Jesus is saying, okay, you heard it said this, but I'm going to raise the standard. I'm going to bring you a new reality. And what Jesus is doing here is he's discipling these people. He's helping them with their spiritual growth. He's having them step up to a new level of understanding. And Jesus is mo most likely saying, when he says to be perfect, he's most likely saying you must be perfect, which is all embracing and without any restriction in your acts of mercy or kindness, for that's what God is like. 
He's all-embracing. He's, un, he's unrestrictive in his, in his mercy and his kindness towards people. And we're to imitate that. Uh, we're supposed to imitate God in that way. But he's calling his listeners to a new level of spiritual maturity. There's a lot of obstacles that we face to spiritual maturity because we live in a world of distraction, don't we? And, and uh, we're, this, this, this world is, is full of distractions, but there's, there's, there's obstacles to our spiritual growth. And um, I don't know if any of you are familiar with the Barna Group. Um, they're a, a Christian organization that does a bunch of resource for church. They resource churches with statistics and information to help, uh, to help pastors and help churches reach people for Christ. And so the Barna Group, um, they did a survey and between the years of 2005 and 2010 to try to identify what are some of the obstacles of spiritual growth. What are some of those barriers that keep us from going to the next level? And they found four distinctive things, four distinctive barriers that kept people from reaching the next level. And the first one is this. It's commitment. First one is commitment. 81% of Christian adults said that they have made a personal commitment to Jesus, as of the people who uh, are self-identified Christians. 81% of, of those adults made a personal commitment to Jesus that is still important in their life today. More than three out of four of those Christians, 78%, strongly agreed that spirituality is very important to them. Yet less than 18% claim to be totally committed to investing in their own spiritual development. See, without full determination to live like Christ and for him, the path to transformation, the path to complete transformation is blocked. A relationship with Jesus is free, but like I said before, there's this process that we are transformed and made more and more into the image of Jesus. The second obstacle that they found in this study was, get this, repentance. Most self-identified Christians, 64%, stated that they have confessed their sins to God and asked for his forgiveness. But the evidence is quite clear that relatively few Christians are serious about abandoning the lure of sin and handing total control of God to their life. In other words, there's this moment where they say, I'm sorry, Lord, I, I, I give this to you. But they, they aren't committed to leaving that lure behind, finding freedom from that, whatever that is, that addiction or that habit or that sinful pattern that they have. And it requires repentance. Spiritual gr growth requires turning away from sinful activity. Does it mean that you have to be perfect before you pursue the Lord? Absolutely not. No, Jesus called his disciples into his group. His disciples didn't even understand yet that he was the son of God when he called them in. And it wasn't until Jesus asked Peter, Peter, who do you think that I am? Who do people say that I am? And, he, and Peter replies, well, they say this, they say that, you're a good teacher, you're this. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, well, who do you say I am, Peter? Peter says, you're the son of God. You are the son of God. And it wasn't until that moment that Peter realized who he was. But Jesus first brings people in and, and develops them and has them walk alongside of him. So we don't have to be perfect. But it does require becoming more like Jesus. does require turning away from a lifestyle that is opposed to what the Bible talks about. It requires turning away from sin. So repentance was the second barrier. The third barrier was activity. What do I mean by this? Tens of millions of self-identified Christians have confused religious activity with spiritual significance and depth. For instance, 39% uh, of the adults that participated in this survey said that they uh, participated in a combination of three normal religious activities in the past week, which was attending church, uh, praying, 
reading the Bible, but far fewer engaged in uh, a deeper level of faith expressions like fasting or sharing their faith with another person or uh, having extended times of spiritual reflection. In other words, a lot of people come to church and they check off that box. I, I did my part for this week in my spiritual growth. Now I'm done. I can wash my hands of it. And, and uh, we fill our lives with activities that make us feel good and make us feel like we're done. But Jesus has so much more that he wants to do in us. He has so much more. And if we would go away to a quiet place and, and prioritize time with Jesus, he wants to speak richly, deeply into our lives and provide transformation for our hearts. We put Jesus on the back burner and we get busy with other activities. I know you're probably like me where it's late at night and I, I get the thought, the Holy Spirit whispers to my heart, hey, we haven't spent a lot of time together. We should probably go away and, and spend some time together. And I go, oh, but I'm almost done with this new show on Netflix, God. <laughs> yes, I'm still watching. And we continue watching Netflix. We fill our lives with activity. So that activity was one of the barriers. And the last barrier, get this, is spiritual community. Community. Most Christians note that they feel comfortable and connected within their church. However, uh, various measures show that there is not much vulnerability and accountability occurring in the context of these connections. Uh, only one out of every five Christians, 21%, believe that spiritual maturity requires a connection with a community of faith. Further, only 35% claim to have confessed their sins to one another at some point in the past year. So this is becoming more and more relevant, especially now in the midst of COVID where we have online church. And for everybody watching online, this is not a judgment at all. What I am saying is that if you are at home and if you are choosing to not be a part uh, of a physical gathering, you're still a part of this. You're still a part of our community. My prayer for you is if, if you haven't connected with people of faith, would you reach out to somebody? Would you, would you stay connected with somebody? through a phone call or a text or something, but we have to be part of a spiritual community. Many people are beginning to think that spiritual community isn't necessary for their spiritual growth, but true transformation comes with transparency and accountability experienced in a community of, of faith, in a community of believers. When you isolate yourself and try to do it on your own, I think many of us have experienced this, that doesn't work. That doesn't work. It takes people of faith in our life that we've given, given permission to, to say, would you hold me accountable to the standards of God? Would you, you have permission to speak into my life. You have permission to, to, to see me and see all of me and those things that I need to get rid of. You give people permission. So what's the end game of spiritual growth? The end game of spiritual growth is godly character, isn't it? It's to look like Jesus. God doesn't need his followers to achieve things on his behalf in order for them to become more acceptable or valuable to him. Sometimes we get so wrapped up in finishing church programs or specific religious results that we lose sight of the purpose of our faith, which is to have a life-changing relationship with Jesus. And we can't substitute activity. We can't substitute other things for an authentic relationship with God. And my desire as a pastor my desire as somebody who is, is passionate about discipling and passionate about spiritual growth, my desire is to provide people with tools 
so that they can become more spiritually mature, that they can grow in their faith. And that's not saying that I've arrived because many of you have already seen I'm, I'm the farthest one away. And, and uh, I'm growing as well. But I believe every person here wants to be a part of a healthy, thriving church filled with people that do their best to imitate Jesus. Amen? We don't always get it right, but we get to be on this journey together. And, and this morning, I want to use some language to simplify what discipleship or spiritual maturity is. And, and, um, and I believe that there are practical things that we can do as a church body. There are practical things that we can do to help people uh, move along this process of spiritual growth so that they don't come to church, raise their hand, get saved, and go home, and nothing else ever happens to them ever again. But there are practical things that we can do to keep people moving in their faith. And, and as we sit here ourselves, there are things that we can do as people who have been following Jesus maybe for years to realize, I haven't done this. Maybe I need to take a step as well into the next level with Jesus, take a next step in my faith. But I believe that God defines, God identifies a spiritually mature follower of Jesus by these four things. And again, these four things are really basic, kind of like cookies at the bottom shelf uh, language right here. Uh, and I use this language for people um, who are maybe being newly introduced into the faith. Uh, I, I try my best to preach in a way um, to, to try not to use a bunch of churchy language, and, and I, I fail at this sometimes, but I, I do my best to preach in such a way that I can identify with the person who's never been to church before. And, and so um, I believe that God identifies spiritually mature followers by these four things. A spiritually mature follower is somebody who, number one, knows God. This is, this is big. It's somebody who has asked Jesus into their heart, has given their life to Christ, and they have a relationship with God. They know God. The next thing is people who find freedom. How many of you know, uh, you know that you can know God and still be enslaved to sin? You can know God and still be attracted and lured into sin and still be addicted to these habits or still be, uh, uh, still be caught up in this relationship or still be doing this or that. You can know God and not find freedom. But the next step after knowing God, after having a relationship with him, is finding freedom from whatever that is, from that addiction or that habit or that relationship. You fill in the blank. It's finding freedom. The next thing I believe that God uh, wants for us is he wants us to discover our purpose, right? That we weren't saved just so we could sit here. We were saved for a purpose. God has given us all unique abilities and talents and, and, and things about our lives that nobody else has, has, and he wants us to use those abilities and talents to reach our community. So we first need to discover who God made me to be. What are those unique giftings and callings in my life so that I can do my best to reach my community? And the fourth thing, the last thing, is I believe spiritually mature followers of Jesus, they make a difference. Not only do they know God, they've found freedom, they've discovered their purpose, who they are, but there are people who make a difference. They don't keep it to themselves. They share it with their community around them. They share it with the world around them. And these four things, know God, find freedom, discover purpose, make a difference, these four things are scattered all throughout Scripture. We see the pattern of these four things scattered throughout Scripture, but it stems from the book of Exodus. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Exodus chapter 6. 
This is where we're going to camp for a bit this morning. Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 through 7. You'll notice that there's four promises that God gives to Israel in this passage through Moses. And if, if you're looking at this, maybe some of you are familiar with this scripture. This passage, Exodus 6, this is what Israelites and practicing Jews to this day, when they observe Passover, this is the scripture they read every Seder, every Passover. They read Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 through 7, and they read it in conjunction with drinking from four cups. Anybody familiar with this? They read, they read this passage uh, in conjunction with drinking from four cups. So let's talk about these four promises and the four cups that we see right here. Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 through 7. Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, here's the first promise, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. Here's the second promise. I will free you from being slaves to them. Here's the third promise. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. And here's the fourth promise. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God, and you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And so every Passover, to commemorate um, coming out of Egypt, the, the Israelites would, would read this passage, and they would drink from these four cups. And uh, the first cup is in conjunction with the first promise. It's the cup of sanctification. And it goes along with the promise, I will bring you out of Egypt. What is sanctification? Sanctification is the cleansing of our sin by a blood atonement. You were freed from sin because of the blood of Jesus that was spilt for your sake. And uh, this, the blood can be seen in the book of Exodus. How many of you remember uh, what it was that brought the people out of Egypt? The very last plague was what? The angel of death. And what was it that kept Israel safe from the angel of death? It was the blood, wasn't it? They were instructed to kill a lamb and do, or a goat and put the, the blood over their doorpost and the angel of death would pass over them. It was the blood that brought them out. And so Israel remembers this promise, I will bring you out of Egypt by drinking from the cup of sanctification. That's the first cup. The second cup that they would drink from uh, would be the cup of deliverance. And that would be going along with the second promise, I will free you. I will free you. The cup of deliverance. The people of God had been brought out of Egypt, but Egypt had not been brought out of the people of God. How many of you remember they're wandering around in the wilderness and as soon as things get hard, they start to get hungry, they start to get thirsty, and they start to whine and complain and bicker and say to Moses, why did you bring us out here? We want to go back. Let us go back to Egypt. At least we had food. At least we had water. We were being taken care of. Let's go back. They had become so used to slavery that they would rather spend their life in captivity and be, have their physical needs met rather than walk in freedom and trust God to provide. So how many of you know today that we can know God, we can say yes to God, we can be sanctified, but we can still have yet to be delivered. We need to be set free. We need to be delivered. The cup of sanctification, the cup of deliverance, here's the third cup. It goes along with I will redeem you, the promise of God. It's the cup of redemption. 
the cup of redemption. Jesus purchased you so that he could purpose you. He purchased you so that he could purpose you. Redemption is the purchasing of something. Redemption is the buying back. Jesus bought you back with his sacrifice on the cross. But he didn't buy you back so that you could sit with this hope and with this knowledge of God and do nothing with it. No, he redeemed you for a purpose. You have a mission. You have a call in life. You have a purpose that God wants all of us to fulfill. He purchased you so that he could purpose you. And the Bible says in Romans that you no longer belong to sin, but you are a slave to righteousness. You belong to righteousness because you were purchased for a purpose. And a lot of scholars believe that uh, when Jesus shared the Passover meal with his disciples the night before he was crucified, that he drank from all four of these cups. In fact, if you go back and read that portion of scripture, that Passover meal that he shared with his disciples, I think you will start to see that there was more than just one cup in the room, that they were actually observed. In fact, many scholars believe there's no reason to think otherwise. There's no reason to think that he wouldn't do this because this is what every Jew, what every Israelite did when they practice Passover. They drank from these four cups. And a lot of scholars believe that this third cup, the cup of redemption, was the cup that he passed to his disciples. As if to say, this is my blood. I'm purchasing you so I can purpose you. I, w I have a mission. I have a destiny for, each and, a destiny for each and every one of you, and I am purchasing you with my blood. I'm buying you with my blood so that I can purpose you. I could give you a, a destiny and a future. Come on. That was good. <laughs> cup of redemption. The last cup was this. The cup of praise. I will take you as my people. It's the cup of praise. We have something to rejoice in. We've been delivered. We've been sanctified. We have been redeemed. We have something to share. So we make a difference. We share our faith with people, with our community, and we praise the Lord because we have been set free. We've been redeemed. So the cup of sanctification, the cup of deliverance, the cup of redemption, the cup of praise. This is my desire. I believe this is our desire. I'm going to speak for our church. I believe this is the desire of our church, and this is, this is my heart for people who walk through the doors in this church. Is Our desire is to see lost people saved, saved people discipled, discipled people, discipled people trained, and trained people mobilized. Let me say that again. We want to see lost people saved. We want to see saved people discipled. We want to see disciple, discipled people trained and trained people mobilized. We want them to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Ephesians chapter 1, we see this, these four things yet again in the book of Ephesians. And Paul writes this, Ephesians 1, 16 through 18. Paul writes, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that, number one, you may know him better, know God. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, find freedom, in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, discover your purpose. He's called us. We discover our purpose the last, to the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. 
the cup of praise, making a difference, sharing our faith with our community, impacting the world around us. So our heart for everyone at this church, I've, I've explained kind of the, the back, the, the, uh, I guess the, the flip side of the coin, the exodus side of the coin, but for the people who walk in through the door and don't yet know God and need to be uh, given a taste, uh, something that's palatable, something that they can, they can understand for themselves, what's my next step? This is the language I want to use, that you would know God, if you're, if you're here, my prayer is that you know God, you find freedom, you discover the purpose that God has given you, and you make a difference in the world. Know God, find freedom, discover purpose, make a difference. So what does that look like practically for our church? How do we, how do, we do this as a church? How do we move people along uh, in these four things? And how do we provide ways for people to participate in these four things? Well, the first one, know God. Here's another scripture, Luke 15, verse 7. It says, I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. We want everyone to know God, and I think that happens in the context of creating a space, creating a gathering for people to experience the presence of God, to know God, for them to come, for them to listen and hear the word of God that transforms their heart and experience the presence of God in worship. I believe that the, the Sunday gathering uh, of the community of people here is kind of, uh, is, is, is not the only place for people to know God because how many of you know you're called to go out into the community and share your faith with others? But this is a platform and a landing zone and a place for you to invite people to so that they would know God. Uh, the second thing, find freedom. James 5, 16 says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. We find freedom in the context of small groups. We find freedom in the context of small groups where people can experience authentic community and they can find freedom and grow. It's hard in a, in a corporate setting to, um, to spend the time that's necessary to really invest into somebody. Uh, but when you are in a small group of people and you're in a freedom group, and whether that's freedom from addiction or whether that's uh, prayer for healing or whatever, whatever, whatever that is, uh, small groups are really the, the place where we find freedom together and where we become the church that God has asked us to be. We do life together. We do community together. And so uh, small groups is where I believe that people find freedom. And by the way, uh, this coming year, I'm excited because we are going to be launching new small groups uh, the coming year. And um, I believe it's going to be refreshing. I think maybe some of you, if you're like me, uh, I, was, I was raised in the church, and I've, I've experienced small groups that are draining, that are, that are tiring, because you commit to a small group, and uh, it's kind of, they don't have a start or a stop date. It's kind of this never-ending small group, and you feel bad when you, when you can't make it. Or maybe you've been in it for two years, and you're like, you know what, I, I think it's time for me to move on. You feel guilty about, about saying no and leaving that group. Or you're a new person, and you come and you jump into a church uh, where there's small groups that have been meeting for years and years, and you feel like, how can I get into a small group uh, you know, when these people have been together for five or six years? But I believe that um, there's, a, there's a, a really fun way to do small groups. And uh, this fall, we're going to be launching those, and they're going to be about six to eight-week commitment. They're called, we, I like to call them campaigns. We do small group campaigns uh, where we commit to attending a small group for six to eight weeks. 
It's very doable. It's a bite-sized thing. You can chew on. You you can you can you can get involved for six to eight weeks, uh, and then um, after that six to eight weeks, and, and the next quarter we launch new small groups. And so that way we keep people who are coming into the church. Uh, we keep providing them with new opportunities to jump in at ground zero, so they don't feel like they're interrupting a group that's been together for years and years. And so. Um, Coming up later in the year, we're going to be launching new small groups, and it's going to be a whole lot of fun. And I believe in small groups. I'm a small groups guy, and I, I think that's where transformation happens. So know God, find freedom, discover purpose. We want people not only to uh, be attending and to join a small group, but we want them to know who they are. We want them to discover who God has created them to be, the giftings that God has given them. Romans chapter 12, verse 6 says we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. And so uh, as a church, it's our job to create a process where people can discover their gifts. There's a lot of people uh, who've never taken uh, maybe a spiritual gifting assessment or they don't know. Uh, they, they've never been told, uh, hey, this is what I see in you. This is what I believe that God's given you a grace for. And so we provide classes and we provide places for people to attend uh, where they can discover with other believers who they are and what their unique giftings and callings are. So discover their purpose. And the last one is make a difference. John 15 verses 8 and 11 says, This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. We want people to make a difference, and so we provide people with opportunities to serve and provide people with opportunities to make a difference not only here at church but in the community as well. And so I believe that everybody has a ministry in the church and a mission outside of the church. I believe that every single person is called to participate in some way in the church and also have a mission outside of the church. It's what we're called to do to make a difference. And so uh, my, uh, my encouragement to you as you're sitting here this morning and as you're thinking through those four things that I just described, know God, find freedom. What's the next one? Discover your purpose. And what's the last one? Make a difference. Come on, one more time. What's the first one? Know God. Discover your and make a difference. Yes. I believe that uh, every one of us is in this room, and, and there's, there's a next step. There's something else that God is calling us to. And so if you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking, you know what, I think God is asking me to take this next step. I don't know. Maybe some of you have... And you know God, but maybe you're still struggling uh, with, with something, I encourage you to reach out. Reach out to, to me, to, uh, uh, to somebody that you trust and know, and, and begin to find freedom. And, and we're going to provide small groups in the future here that are going to be all about finding freedom. And if you're sitting here, you know God, maybe you found freedom, or, or, or you're, you're, you're feeling like... Uh, God's doing a work in that area in your life, but maybe you just don't know what God is, how God has built you or the, the unique giftings and talents he's given you. We're going to provide opportunities here in this next year for you to discover those things and discover how God has created you. And uh, the last thing is maybe some of you have never served in a capacity here at church or in the community, and we want to invite you to be part of a team. Uh, a lot of you can look around the room and know and you can see that, that uh, we have uh, a children's ministry that we need to get fired back up. And uh, I need you. 
as the church. I need, I need our, our church body to step up to the plate and to help in those areas, to be teachers for our kids' ministry, to help on the worship team, to help with production in the back. We're, we're going to be adding live stream stuff. And so if you, uh, of any of those areas, if you're sitting there and you think, you know what, I'm good at this. I think that I could be a help here. I encourage you, reach out to me. If I hear it from somebody else before I hear it from you, I'm going to give you a hard time. I'm going to come after you and be like, hey, I heard that you can play the guitar and you didn't tell me about it. <laughs> no, but my heart is for people to be changed, and I believe that uh, these are practical ways to help people along in their progression of faith. And you know what? This isn't the full extent of it, you know, uh, but th- there, there's so much more to following Jesus, but I believe this is a great start, and this is a catalyst to get people launched into their relationship with Jesus. And so would you bow your heads and pray with me, and we're going to close today. We'll, we'll be done after I finish praying. We won't do another song. So Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the people in this room. I've just enjoyed so much getting to know names and matching them with faces, and uh, it's amazing how much my love for this community has already grown just in, in the last couple weeks. And Jesus, I pray that there would be a foundation of love in this room. There would be a foundation of grace in this room. This would be a place of joy, a place of life. And God, I thank you for what you did in 2020. And um, Lord, how you've been so faithful to us in this last year. And Lord, we look forward to 2021. And ask God that you would do more. We believe in faith that the best is yet to come, both in our lives as followers of Jesus and as a church. In Jesus' name we pray. We love you, Lord, in your name. And the church said, amen. Amen. God bless you, church. Next week we start our series in prayer.